Welcome, I'm Brad Evans, pastor of Family Ministries, and it's my privilege to kick off a series with you on the family. Uh, We are going to be doing this the next three weeks, and uh, looking at, today is uh, an an overview. Uh, Well, the overview is today we're looking at the purpose of the family. It's going to be more of the big picture, the theology of the family. Why does the family exist? Why did God create the family? And then next week, we're going to be looking at the pillars of the family. We'll get a little bit more in specifics into what are the essential components and the pillars that make up a family. And then the third week, we're going to look at the playbook. How does this work? What are some tools? What are some resources so that we can function according to God's design in our family? Now, I have to tell you, as I begin this series, I do so with some degree of uh, fear and trepidation on talking about the family because you see my family. You see me. We don't have it all together. I'm not a perfect husband or father. Ask my wife. Ask my children. So I'm in this with you. I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to grow. Trying to understand God's perspective However, God does speak very clearly to us on this topic, and I want to make a bold statement here. I believe this series is going to be one of the most significant series you will ever hear in your life. I really believe that, because God wants us to understand his perspective on the family, He has created us, he has designed marriage, he has designed the family, and we're going to see some very intentional purposes behind that. And I have found that more and more of us need to gain a biblical grounding, a theological foundation on this topic. Let me ask you a question. How many of you, I'm going to try to illustrate this point, I hate it when people ask me to raise their hand, but I'm going to ask you to raise your hand here in a minute. How many of you grew up in a home where Christ was lifted up, where you had, you saw your father loving the Lord and loving your mother as Christ loves the church, and you saw your mother also loving the Lord and walking with the Lord and respecting your father and following his headship, leadership in the home. And they invested in you and they taught you the word of God. They didn't just teach it to you as head knowledge, but they lived out the incarnation of Jesus Christ. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he, God desires for us to be living that out in our homes. I'm just curious, how many of you had the privilege of experiencing a home like that? Would you raise your hands? Wow. Let's give our parents a hand. Yeah. Praise God. I couldn't raise my hand. Now, that's not to diss my parents, and we're not here to bash parents, but the reality is many of us, came from homes where this didn't happen. And so we're kind of feeling our way in the dark a little bit. It's kind of like me right after I first got married. Okay. You ready for this? Here we are. Brad and Susan. Yeah. 25 and a half years ago. 
My wife gave me permission to say this. I had dark hair, she had big hair. It was the 80s. Okay? Here we are. This is three minutes after we say I do. Okay? They had pronounced this husband and wife. We walked out. The photographer said, hey, turn around. We turned around. He snapped this picture. Now I want to ask you, did I think at that time I knew a thing or two about marriage and about loving my wife? Oh, yeah, man, I got this. Well, I found out pretty quickly I was clueless. I had a lot to learn. You know, there's a certain way the toilet paper is supposed to go. (laughs) And did you know the bathroom floor is not a place to dry out your clothes? It's not, you know. There are certain things that we just have to be trained in. We have to be encouraged in. And my wife is a good trainer, and uh, uh, I'm a long, long-term project. But we're, we're trying to figure this out. So, yeah, here we are. I'm 28 years old. She's 28 years old. We didn't get married until a little bit later. And we had ingrained singleness in us. We had our own way of doing things. We're firstborns. We're button heads, okay? It was exciting. <laughs> it's kind of like, uh, have you been skiing before? Been snow skiing? First time I went skiing, uh, snow skiing was in Breckenridge when I was in college. And where do you start out? You don't start out on the black time. You start out on the bunny slope. And I had a ski instructor named Gertie from Norway. And so Gertie's trying to teach us how to ski on the bunny slope. And so what do you do? You stand sideways to the hill. And I strapped on my ski boots and I buckled into my skis. And she's teaching us how to snow plow. And I'm thinking, this, this isn't working. I need to be pointing downhill, you know? I, I don't need, come on, I, I got this. So I turned downhill before I knew it, I was going. I was going full speed. And I go shooting down the hill. Well, if you've been, I don't know if it's still there. This is a long time ago. But down at the bottom is a chairlift. And all these people are lined up. And I just, pow, wiped them out. I mean, it was, it was terrible. It was bloody. And the next thing I know, I'm looking up. And Gertie's standing over me. And she said, you are a maniac. Yeah. <laughs> you do that again, I take away your ski pass. Yeah. And I said, okay, now I'm teachable. And it's kind of like that in marriage, right? We strap on the skis and off we go. And a lot of times we don't have a clue. Lord help me. (laughs) There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. We need you, Jesus. And that's the way we were and uh, still are in many regards. Fast forward 25 and a half years later. Now uh, we have been on this journey and there's uh, Rachel, uh, 18, Andrew's 12. This is actually a year ago when he had a broken arm. One of the reasons I put this in there is to show you that we have issues just like you do, broken arms, struggles, trials. And you know, as I mentioned this, for some of you, this topic of family, maybe some of you who couldn't raise your hands, there's some pain involved when we talk about family. For some of us, we have some scars. We have some hurts. Some of us saw our parents get divorced. Maybe some of us have even been divorced here. Maybe some of us have been trying to have kids and it's not happening. Maybe we've had a miscarriage or 
lost a child. We, we did. Darkest days of our lives was when Elizabeth Grace died just before she was six months old. Maybe some of you uh, are just praying for the day your kids are going to leave. <laughs> There's pain. <laughs> These teenagers. Maybe some of you have lost a spouse. And as you think about family, you're reminiscing on what was and their sadness. Whatever is going on with you, and we're all at uh, individual places in our lives, we can't shy away from how desperately we need to hear God's perspective on the family. God cares a lot about the family. He's the one that designed marriage. We're going to talk about that in a minute. He's the one, he's the giver of life that allows us to have children. He has a very intentional plan for our family. So we as a church cannot shy away from that. In fact, I would submit to you by how few of us were able to raise our hands, we really need to hear from God on this topic. He's got the blueprint. He's got the playbook, the Bible. And we really need to be looking at those who are a little farther along than we are in our spiritual journey with our families so that we can learn from them. That's one of the main ways that I learned about being a godly husband and a father is by seeking out mentors, some men that could say, hey, that was really stupid what you said to your wife. Are you spending time with your wife this week? On and on. We need those people. I thank God that at Grace Bible Church, you look around, we have some gray hairs here. Looky here, you know. We have some gray hairs that have, are on down the road. And some godly examples. Men and women that are finishing well in life and with their families. We need that. So we're on this journey. We're going to be looking at the family and we're going to be looking at God's perspective. So is the family important? What do you think? Is the family important? Why are we even having this discussion this morning? Well, according to Kurt Brunner, and I'm only going to recommend, there's a lot of resources out there. If you read one book, I want to encourage you to get this one. It starts at home by Kurt Brunner. Great book. The first two sentences In chapter 1, he says this. If you've ever been a part of a loving, healthy family, you've smelled the sweet aroma of heaven. If you've ever lived in a troubled, broken home, you've breathed the foul stench of hell. Wow. That's pretty powerful. But the reality is, our families have had an enormous impact on us. That's God's design. That we be image bearers of God in the home. And we reflect him. Marriage is to shine light on the person of Jesus Christ. Of all the metaphors that God could have picked to illustrate uh, uh, the church, he picks marriage and Christ's love relationship with his bride, the church. Our children and the launching of our children is not just to have this haphazard thing going on here. There's to be intentionality and purpose 
And they're to make an impact for the kingdom of God as we send them out. We'll be talking more about that in just a little bit. Another quote, is the family important? Former U.S. Surgeon General C. Everett Koop, it's under President Reagan. Life offers no greater responsibility, no greater privilege than the raising of the next generation. And parents, we've got to own that. What's our vision statement here at Grace Bible Church? Raising up next generation leaders to what? To reach our world for Jesus Christ. And sometimes people mistakenly think, well, we're just talking about college students. Well, we are talking about college students. And God has strategically placed us here to reach the campus, to reach the world. But shouldn't this begin in our homes? Our children are next generation leaders. And so if it's not happening in the home, what our advice to you as a leader or somebody that wants to invest in others is time out. Get things well at home. Pour into your children. Pour into your spouse. It's incredibly important. No greater responsibility than raising the next generation. Talk about the theology of the family. A lot of places we could go in Scripture. Brian's going to begin a series in Genesis coming up, so I don't want to steal too much of uh, what's happening. But uh, we've, we've really got to begin here as we look at Genesis 1 and 2. So I invite you to turn to Genesis, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but in Genesis chapter 1, we're going to see that in the beginning, in chapter 1, verse 26, God said, let us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, let us, and by the way, the Trinity expresses this concept, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, let us make man in our own image. We are image bearers of God. At the end of verse 31, God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Turn over to chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. Wait a minute, everything's been good up to this point. God created man, Adam, with some gaps. It wasn't good for him to be alone. Some of us have figured that out, right? And by the way, as I look around, I see quite a few singles in our audience. I thank God that you're here because we need to be teaching our singles, our students, even our children about God's vision, God's purpose for the family. And you need to be praying for God to provide you a mate where you are linked and like-minded, not unevenly yoked. If you missed Brian's message on Malachi, on marriage uh, a few weeks ago, go back and listen to that. Very, very, very important that we understand God's perspective on marriage. And I remember Dick Davison, one of the founders of our church, talking about the privilege we have, the opportunity, the stewardship of college ministry. And one of the things he would talk about is not only that we're going to reach the world for Christ through college students, but in college, you have a chance to marry the right boy, marry the right girl. He unabashedly would talk about finding a mate that's going to share your life vision and your mission 
to reach the world for Jesus Christ. But see, Adam, he had some gaps. God recognized that. He said, I'll make a helper suitable for him. So he parades all the animals by Adam. He's looking at them. He's also not only naming them, he's trying to find the perfect fit. Well, she's not there. So from Adam, from his own body, he forms woman. And then he brings her to her. Verse 23, and the man said, or English translation doesn't do this justice. This is now bone of my bones. The Hebrew literally said, wow. And when we do weddings here, we watch the groom stand right here and the doors open up and the bride comes down and he's just going, wow, because there she is. Man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Man, ish, woman, ish, ah, a perfect compliment, a lock and a key, a cuff and a link, perfect fit to complete us for a purpose, for this cause, verse 24, for this reason, talking about marriage, a man shall leave his father and mother, shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh, bashar, one flesh. It's like two pieces of paper, the very fibers are woven together, two becoming one for the purpose of honoring God and reflecting Jesus Christ to our world. Verse 25, the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. We live in a sex-crazed culture. Realize before the fall, here we have sexual intimacy between a man and a woman. And in that context, in the covenant of marriage, God blesses it. It is good. It is wonderful. As Ed Wheat writes in his book, it's intended for pleasure, not only for procreation, but it is a wonderful thing to experience. That's God's uh, perspective. We have the fall. Uh, we uh, Sin enters into the world. And um, let's fast forward a little bit to Deuteronomy chapter 6 because we're going to see how the nation of Israel viewed their understanding of family and, and God and, and honoring God in their homes, but also passing their faith on down to the next generation. It's... it's so key, such a part of God's design and God's plan. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, you shall love... Oh, by the way, before I even get here, Jesus Christ, he gave us a couple of commands, didn't he? He was pretty specific on a couple of things that are timeless principles for every church throughout all generation. The great commandment, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Lo, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. The great commandment. I'm I'm sorry, that was the great commission. What about the great commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. You ever wonder where did Jesus Christ get these commandments? Now, I know he's God. I know that God inspires authors to, to write his word. I didn't get this until just a couple of years ago. I didn't connect the dots. I didn't really see this. Where did Jesus possibly learn about, about the great commission and the great commandment? He probably learned it not only in the synagogue, 
But first and foremost, from Joseph and Mary in his own home. Look at this. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. The great Shema. Verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Sound familiar? And these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them, go and make disciples of all nations, you shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, just way of life. You're to teach them the precepts and principles of the word of God. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on your doorposts of your house and on your gates. Another passage, Psalm 127, which is actually going to be our key text, and so we're going to come back to this in a little bit. Psalm 139, what's God's perspective on the family? What's his perspective on life, on children? Is that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that life begins at conception. And the sanctity of life is incredibly important to us as a family and as a church. And by the way, as a, even as we talk about the church, we are the family of God. In Ephesians 2, Paul calls us the household of faith. And we, when we place our faith in the person of Jesus Christ and receive forgiveness of sins, we are adopted into the family of God. We are justified, we're declared righteous, all these amazing things happen, but we become part of God's very own family. And we can call him father. We're called his children. You see the family imagery there. The privilege we have then to come together, gather together as the body of Christ, the family of God, the worshiping community. We're the family of God. We also talk about small groups. Isn't it important to be connected and to be in a small group? What's the original small group? It's the family. Our families are small groups, and that's God's design. Proverbs, I'm not going to take time to go there, but in Proverbs, it's wisdom literature. Solomon wrote this. Why, did, why is it there? Well, it's for all of us to learn skillful living, but it's particularly written from a father writing to his son to impart God's word, God's truth to his son. It's a model for us as parents. It talks about the youth and the naive and how much they need to be instructed. The naive. I love this Hebrew word. It means wide open spaces. You know, hello, McFly, airhead. The world's filling our kids' head with stuff, right? We need to make sure we're filling it with the truth and the word of God. That's what Proverbs is about, so that we can be wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We're going to be looking at some of these other passages in the weeks to come, but Ephesians 5 and 6, Paul talks about marriage and a husband loving his wife and, a Christ, and the wife respecting her husband and following, submitting him is an is a image of the church and how we're to function. Children obeying their parents. Parents... Uh, raising their kids, Ephesians 5 and 6. What I'd like to turn to now is in 
Psalm 127. This is going to be our main text today. I'd really like to look at this passage and again in the context of the theology of the home, God's view of the family. And as we look at this, just a couple of quick background notes. Who wrote this? Well, Solomon also wrote this. It's one of only two Psalms that's authored by Solomon. And it's called a song of ascent. What does that mean? Well, there's several of these pilgrimage songs that the nation of Israel would recite and sing together and prepare themselves as they were coming up to ascending to Jerusalem. They were required to make several uh, pilgrimage, pilgrimages, try to say that fast three times, uh, several times a year. And while they were going, they were to be preparing their heart. This is one of these song of ascents. And so as we see this, uh, think of this in this context of you're on a journey, maybe you're driving to Colorado or whatever, and you're getting ready to be with some others, and uh, you want to prepare your heart, this is a great way to do it. Verse 1, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. Now, Bible students will notice a couple of phrases that are repeated here. Notice the repetition of unless the Lord. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. He's talking about building the house. Some say it's may Solomon may be referring to his palace, but we can certainly make application, and some think there is a direct application. He may be talking about the home, talking about building families, not just with bricks and mortar, but the family unit, God's design for the home. Unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain who build it. So one of my observations from this is that as we are building our families, as we are building our homes, we must, first and foremost, depend on the Lord. Family, is, marriage is God's design, family is God's design, and we must depend on him and not in our own efforts. How many of you have tried to pull something off as a husband on your own, in your own flesh, apart from the Holy Spirit, and how's it gone? Has it gone well for you? No, doesn't go too well. How about parenting? How's it gone trying to parent in your own flesh? Just, hey, I'm going to pull this off. Doesn't go so well. We must, as we've been seeing this morning, depend upon the Lord, recognize our need for him. The psalmist begins acknowledging that unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. So working hard is not wrong, but if it's done with anxiety and stress apart from the Lord, it's meaningless. It's vanity, he says. This word vain can be translated empty, futile, or pointless. Verse 2, it's vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labor, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. So again, work hard. God instructs us to do that, to labor, to be intentional. But if we do this apart from the Lord, if we do this on our own efforts, 
It's just, as Solomon say in Ecclesiastes, it's just striving after the wind. It's meaningless. It's pointless. It's not going to have any lasting eternal value. So, God uses us. He does want to use us. This doesn't mean we just sit back and be passive. We're to be intentional. We're to use our God-given roles and our calling. But only God can cause the growth in our families. Only he can be the one that changes a heart. And Solomon wants us to understand that. He wants us to recognize that about our own homes. He also wants us to see that we need to give the Lord the honor he deserves. There's a, a perspective in here of, of worship, of acknowledging that unless God is working, it's not going to happen, again, of lasting value. And we need to be on our knees before the Lord, dedicating our homes to him and acknowledging him and honoring him and, and acknowledging our need and dependency upon the Lord. What does he say about children? Look at verse 3. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. So we're going to see here in Psalm 127 and other sections of Scripture is that children are incredibly valuable. Incredibly valuable. That's God's heartbeat for us to own and Maybe this is on down the road for you, or maybe you're right in the middle of it, you know? I remember when we first had a little human unit, you know, that it seemed like all it did was cry and pee and poop, you know? And you're about three or four weeks into this thing, and you hadn't had any sleep, and it's like, okay, time out. I didn't sign up for this, Right? We need God's perspective on this. We need to hopefully have a long-haul vision and perspective. And I'll tell you, there's hope. It gets better. And then you have teenagers, (laughs) right? But there's hope. God can change a heart. We're really on our knees now. God, I need you to work. I must depend upon you. Our children are incredibly valuable to him. Now put this in a little bit of perspective. This is an actual sign that this past year, a suburb of Chicago, Buffalo Grove, they put this up on all their uh, sports fields, their t-ball fields, their soccer fields, their hockey rinks. They actually put this sign up here. Give us a little bit of perspective because we need this as parents. Things for coaches, parents, spectators to keep in mind while children are playing sports on our fields. This is a game being played by children, okay? Need to be reminded of that. If they win or lose every game of the season, it will not impact what college they attend or their future income potential. (laughs) Of the hundreds of thousands of children who have ever played youth sports in Buffalo Grove, very few have gone on to play professionally. It is highly likely that any college recruiters or professional scouts are watching these t-ball games. So let's... Keep it all about having fun and being pressure-free. Hey, wouldn't it be great if we put the same amount of focus and intensity into the spiritual development of our children as we do sporting events? What would happen? 
And I've been there too. I've coached. I'm getting all, you know, I have to remind myself, okay, we're not going to keep score, you know, but we're going to win. <laughs> you know? What's God's perspective on this? He wants us to be intentional with the spiritual formation of our children in the homes. We only have them for a little while. He tells us that children are a gift. This is a fascinating word. Behold, he says, listen up. Children are a gift of the Lord or from the Lord. Well, what does that mean? Well, in the New American Standard in the Old Testament, this word gift is translated different ways. It's used, it's translated inheritance 198 times. It's translated heritage 16 times. Possession seven times. This is the only time it's translated gift. Pretty fascinating here. So what's Solomon saying that children are a gift when he uses this word? Now, I've done a little study on this, and I've looked at some other contexts and some other references in Scripture. I've read some commentaries on this. Here's my best attempt at what I think he's saying. Children are a gift. The idea here is that as parents, we are the beneficiaries of a precious trust from the Lord. Now, it would be unwise for us to go through life and to not have a will and to not set something up to pass on down to our children. We think about that in terms of monetary things and material assets, and uh, tr- so we set up trusts and, and think of it in this way, is that what we are doing on our homes is we are establishing a legacy. It could be a good one, it could be a bad one, it could be mixed. But God wants us to pass the baton on with a spiritual legacy to the next generation. And he has given us a trust. And we have a stewardship responsibility and a very specific assignment from God to purposely ensure they're not our children, they're his children. We've got to hold them with an open palm, grow to know and revere the Lord. That's what he's saying here. Children are a gift. Parents, we have a responsibility. We have an assignment. We have a limited amount of time. We have a window of opportunity, and it just goes by like that. Doesn't it? It goes by so fast. Children also are called a reward and a blessing. The fruit of the womb is a reward. And again, if you're struggling with having children or if you've had a miscarriage, I I know this is... We've been there. I know this is something that is challenging. But God's perspective is to, for us to see his heartbeat for the family. And that children are from God. They're gifts from God. They are the fruit of the womb when God makes life is a reward from God. What does that mean? Also, he talks about children are a blessing. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They'll not be ashamed. Alan P. Ross, uh, one of the most respected Old Testament theologians, says the Hebrew saw children as the greatest blessing and enrichment God could give to their lives. Ever since the fall, when death began to reign, no one would dare neglect or abuse the gifts of God. And so we need to see our children as a blessing, 
as an entrustment to us for a certain period of time that we're to pour into, we're to invest into, we're to be good stewards of. So who has the primary responsibility for our children's spiritual development? Who is that? Parents and grandparents. We have to own that. And unfortunately, in our culture, we've more and more developed this drop-off mentality where we drop our kids off to the soccer expert, and they teach them soccer. And we want to have the best children's ministry we can here. We're going to be talking more about that in weeks to come and how we want to partner with you. But the primary responsibility lies with me as a dad and my wife as a mom. We've got to own that. Children are also described as arrows. I love this. Verse 4, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are children of one's youth. How blessed the man whose quiver is full of them. What's an arrow? Well, now we're getting into some warrior terminology here. We're in a battle. We're in a spiritual warfare. Paul tells us that in Ephesians chapter 6. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities, against rulers. And our children are designed to be instruments of warfare against the kingdom of darkness. What's an arrow for? What's the purpose of an arrow? They have a very specific purpose to defend, to kill the enemy. Okay? And we need to view our children in this way. Also, we have to realize that arrows must be skillfully shaped over time. Happen to have an arrow here. I happen to enjoy uh, shooting a bow and an arrow. My son and I like to do that. And this arrow has been skillfully crafted. It's made out of graphite. It's got some fletchings here. Don't have a broadhead in here. I didn't want to scare you. It's got a field tip. But I have a bow that will shoot this arrow at over 300 feet per second. That bow has a very intentional purpose to shoot this arrow towards the target. And I've learned over time uh, to be more skillful in aiming, I'm not going to aim this at any of you, uh, at aiming this toward the target to accomplish the purpose for which this arrow is designed. That's God's design for our kids. And when this happens, he said, we're blessed with children. It means the enjoyment of righteousness. So, let me just mention this. As we're talking about families, are fathers important? Absolutely. When a child first attends church, 3.5% of families follow. This is according to Barna Institute. When a mom or wife first attends church, 17% of families follow. What happens when the dad begins to attend church? 93% of families follow. Men, we've got to embrace our role and be leaders in our homes. Launching kingdom arrows, what does this look like? Great commission, great commandment that we impart to them, a vision that God's calling is not just getting them out of high school or out of college, but God has a calling for them to make an impact and be disciples of Jesus Christ and be disciple makers and love God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength in whatever capacity he leads them to do so that they can be influencers and impact the kingdom. So that we can leave a spiritual legacy of discipleship with our children as we pass our faith down to the next generation. 
We just have a short window of time, don't we? (laughs) Seize the day. Every day it's important. Try to spend a little bit of time every day. More about that in the weeks to come. And then eventually, fling, got to let them fly. Got to let them go. Some of you are in the same boat that we are right now. You're about to let your arrow fly. I taught this at uh, Horn Creek Family Camp a few weeks ago on Psalm 127. And there's this kid sitting down here named Stephen. Stephen Traphagen. And he's just drawing and I thought he wasn't paying attention. And afterwards his parents came up to me. And they showed me this illustration. I'm kind of a visual person, so I love this. So let me show you what this kid drew after I taught on Psalm 127. Here he is. He's right down here. Okay, so he's thinking. Here's what he's thinking. You know what this is? This is a mom and a dad. Half half dad, half mom. This is a 10-year-old kid, okay? So the dad, he's got a a feather in his hat, and the mom, you see her hair over here, and he got, they got one long arm for this bow, but he's, uh, he's got an arrow knocked. It's the kid. It's, the, it's, it's him. This was him. And I talked about leaving a legacy, and, and you may not be able to see that, but he's, the, the child is holding the legacy of what the parents have passed on to him, and they're drawing him back, and they're aiming him out here to impact the W-O-E-R-L-D, the world, for Jesus Christ. And he came up to me and he explained, I'm like, oh my gosh, he got it. A 10 year old kid. This is God's vision for us. The perspective of the home is that we launch these arrows out to impact the kingdom of God. Now I'm going to get, wrong one here. I'm going to get personal here, about to wrap this up. Our little bumpkin, Rachel Joy. Evans. Uh, here she is holding her bunny Oreo. It wasn't her bunny. It's the picture person's bunny Oreo when she's young. And uh, there she is uh, at her first maroon and white game. I think she's about six. She's learning to gig them. You know, she's trying to get that, get that straight here. And I'm showing you this because something significant is about to happen in our family. Here she is when we went to Russia and adopted Andrew. Uh, on our family farm, John Deere tractor, I grew up driving. Uh, I had to show one with her uh, shooting a deer. Uh, 183 yards, I'm not proud of her. Um, <laughs> graduation picture. Whew. I knew I was going to do this. She graduated from high school this past May. And early in the spring, she got something in the mail. She's going to this little college down the street here. Going to be an Aggie. We're launching an arrow. Fling. She's gone. I hope she comes back. We're keeping her room. (laughs) But I thank God for my wife partnering with me. And I thank God for this arrow, Rachel. She's she's gonna make some mistakes. She's going to struggle. Her faith's going to be challenged. Hopefully, her faith, her parents' faith, is becoming more and more her own faith. But I have every bit of confidence in her that God's going to use her 
And I look forward to watching her grow and develop and blossom where God takes her. Three weeks, we move her into the dorm. Any, any others of you? I, I know, Gary, you're in the same boat. Some, any of y'all? Yeah. We're there. And I'm telling you, with little kids, it's going to happen before you know it. Seize the day. But the purpose is to launch these arrows. Launch these arrows. Application, pray for your families. We're wrapping up here. Pray for, your fam- for our families at Grace. Pray for the marriages. Satan is attacking our marriages. Pray, pray, pray for our marriages. Pray for our children. Pray for our families. And for you that are looking on down the road, pray for your family or your future family that God would give you a godly husband or a godly wife and that God would keep you in the battle and keep you focused on Jesus Christ. Pray, pray every day, pray. And let's dedicate our homes to the Lord. Unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. And let's raise up next generation leaders. Last thing I want to mention is Adopt an Aggie. It's a wonderful ministry here. We need families. We're signing up now. I don't know if it's on the website, but it will be. We need families who will welcome students that are coming. It's a great way for this intergenerational discipleship to take place. I want to encourage you to prayerfully consider being a part of our Adopt an Aggie ministry, flagship ministry of Grace Bible Church, and uh, providing a home away from home for our kids. Let's close. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time we've had together, and we honor you as um, our creator, as the one who designed marriage and family, and we just pray that we'd be found faithful. We pray for the families in our church, in our community. We pray for those who may be struggling and hurting. Pray for healing. We pray that we'd be intentional with these arrows that you've blessed us with, and that we would launch them out to impact your kingdom because they're your arrows and you've created them for your glory. Pray this in Christ's name, amen. See you next week.